On this Sega Talk, we return to the 1980s with the Sega arcade classic, Thunderblade. How did Sega build on their superscalar legacy to create a helicopter video game that graphically outdid Afterburner? What does the game play like on the Master System and Mega Drive? Find out as we spin our blades on Sega Talk. Sega-Bits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's not? Hello and welcome to episode number 112 of Sega Talk. I'm Barry. With me is George. Hello, everyone. And on this episode, we are going to be talking about Sega's Thunderblade. And this is actually a me pick. I picked this one. And it's because we have not talked about a 1980s Sega game for over a year. It's been, I think, since 2021, we actually uh, covered a game made in the 80s. And yeah, I think I messed up because I was thinking, well, we did Outrun, we did Hang On, we did Space Harrier, we haven't done, we've done Afterburner, and then I went back and realized we we did not do Afterburner, so I skipped Afterburner, but I'm so glad I did, because Why? I feel like Why? there's... Well, first off, if you're new to Sega Talk, we don't go in order. In fact, last episode we talked about... Um, the sequel to Shining Force, and we've never talked about a, a Shining Force prior to that. And in this case, I, I honestly feel like, well, there is a lot to be said about Afterburner. I think there's even more to be said about Thunderblade, and so it's going to be, I actually think, a, a pretty fun and exciting episode in terms of like stuff we cover. And I'm I'm looking forward now to going back and talking about Afterburner in the future with the knowledge that we have of Thunderblade. Um, so if you want to support us, we are on Patreon. You can pick the episodes that we cover. We typically do Patreon picks. But like I said, this episode is a, a personal pick, a personal pan pizza pick. Mm. Uh, so let's, what's, what's let's your dive topics? right into it. Well, my topic, <laughs> I think I said it a few times, is Thunderblade. So this game was released in 1987. It's an arcade rail shooter developed by Sega R&D 1, running on the Sega X board. It's the fifth in Sega's lineup of Tycon simulators. And uh, I know you like the trivia, or the, the, uh, the quiz time. So George, right. can you tell me... Leading up to Thunderblade, what are the four Tycon simulators from Sega? And you, you don't have to go in order, but if you want to, you get bonus points, I guess. Oh, really? Okay, I think it goes uh, Hang On, Outrun, um, Afterburner was out, I'm pretty sure. Does it also count the sequels or like uh, re-releases or whatever, like Afterburner Two? Well, those are technically revisions, so no, we're not counting those. So it's as like Hang new On, ones. Afterburner, Outrun, 
And Space Harrier. Does that count? Even though it's not really... It's still a, a, a superscalar game, right? Yeah, yeah. That absolutely does count. So those are superscalers. Those are Tycon simulators. Um, in order, it's actually Hang On, Outrun, Space Harrier, and Afterburner. Um, and all of those games, what they have in common is they they have that graphical style. They don't all run on the same board, though. They actually... Um, Sega went through, I believe, three different boards through their superscalar, uh, uh, I guess, period. Um, as far as the simulators, of course, hang on. You would go from side to side. Uh, outrun, you would sit in a little car. Um, uh, sp- uh, space Harrier, you would be in this almost like... I, I don't know what it is. It's It's the most <laughs> you know it's not like you're holding the the thing under no, your arm that would have made sense um that would be kind of cool but you're in this like little sit down spacecraft and then of course afterburner you're in the the ship itself for the the, the the fighter jet the cockpit they call it I think. exactly and so in this one it's a little bit different we'll talk about how it is but this game thunderblade released just five months after yu suzuki's afterburner um although what had released was the upright cabinet of Thunderblade. The Tycon, a.k.a. Body Sensation Deluxe Cabinet, released two months later and allowed players to sit and move the control stick around, which in turn moved the seat left to right. So you would be like this and like this. Oh, I see. So like full that. body, kind of. Exactly, but it wasn't... Um, there weren't a lot of motors, there weren't a lot of like moving parts, so it honestly has a lot in common with um, the playground, sort of um, that shoveler thing, you know what I mean? Mm. Where you sit down and you kind of turn to one side, scoop, turn to the other side, dump, but instead it's almost like doing this moves you. Wow, okay. It's, um, it's pretty cool. And so the game simulated an advanced military helicopter and featured three-dimensional gameplay in a surprisingly detailed environment. Uh, What more, the game offered shifting views moving straight ahead and top-down. So Thunderblade is probably best known to Sega fans as Super Thunderblade, which is the Mega Drive Genesis port which acted as a launch title in Japan Released alongside... Can you name another launch title? For Japan? In Yeah. Not really. I don't... Um, oh. I'll give uh, you a ab- hint. Uh, it's another arcade... Alter Beast. Game. No. Space Harrier 2. Okay. Space Harrier 2. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, yeah. So, it's So you can see, like, when the Mega Drive was, was releasing, they were really pushing this, like, arcade at home experience. So... I mean, what do you, what do you think about those titles? Like, if you were a little Japanese kid, would you be excited to be getting Super Thunderblade and Space Harrier Two? Space Harrier Two, um, yeah, Super Thunderblade, not really, because I feel like it doesn't translate as well as the arcade experience. I think there's some games that you have it almost like you have to play with a certain control. And I feel like uh, Space Harrier is easier to play with a D-pad. Not easier, but it's more. it translates easier. 
then Thunderblade translates to consoles. Right. So I would say I would be happier with a Space Harrier 2 for sure. And it has really psychedelic graphics and it looks cool with monsters in it. So It does. And unfortunately, little Japanese boy George would not have anything else to pick from because those were the only two launch titles. Wow. <laughs> two, wow. Two... Two very vastly downgraded superscalar arcade games. That's all you got. Wow. That's it. <laughs> so here we are in America going, oh, you got to have a sports game, a shoot 'em up, a fighting game, an RPG. And over in Japan, they're like, ah, you just need superscalar games. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So with that port, you know, unfortunately, much of the charm and technical innovation is lost as the game on the Mega Drive omits the top-down perspective. Uh, the game was ported to a number of platforms, including the Amiga, the Amstrad, CPC, Atari ST, Commodore 64, IBM PC, MSX, Sega Master System, X68000, PC Engine, and the ZX Spectrum. Oof. Wow. Uh, that game, the game uh, got unfortunately. Well, yeah, and unfortunately for Sega fans, many of the ones I listed that aren't Sega consoles actually retain a lot of the uh, sprite scaling and the shifting perspective. So Mm. Sega fans kind of got shortchanged there. Um, However, the Master System version does retain the top-down perspective, albeit without any sprite scaling effects or even change in altitude. You can't even, I think, move around the screen. Um, However, thanks... To the efforts of M2 thank in you. 2014. Thank you, thank you. Super, or I should say 3D Thunderblade, finally released. It was a home port to the Nintendo 3DS with new modes and even an attempt to replicate the body sensation feel. And I'm actually, I have it, you can see the body sensation feel kind of happening there i have the tilt on so does this replace so. for you does that replace the arcade no more needing needing to go to galloping ghosts <laughs> anymore you could just stay home yeah play it on your 3ds right? does it <laughs> you play both well, right we'll get to that i'll okay. reveal that later in the show we got to keep right. them watching but all right now that i've set the table for all the ways that you can play thunderblade uh George, why don't you tell me your history with the game and any of the versions that you've played? I've only played the Mega Drive version or the Genesis version. Um, I've mm-hmm. and I've played the 3DS version. I've never played it in arcade, sadly, and but I've seen videos of it, and I know it's like it makes sense when you see it with the controls. But when I played it on the Genesis, I literally could not figure. I couldn't get good at it. That's it. I just couldn't figure it out. And then when I right. saw like actual videos on how it works with the controls, it's like I I really felt like this is something you have to play with it, either the controller or at the arcade with the actual cabinet. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I I'd have to say I have very little history with this game. Actually, it's why I picked it. Uh, as a kid, I was really not exposed to the Super Scalar games. I didn't have any epic arcades near me that had them Uh, maybe i saw maybe an afterburner in my time but i don't recall experiencing it um in fact i think probably the first time i saw afterburner was and i I, correct me if i'm wrong terminator 2 it's in that game or in that movie right right 
Yeah, yeah. And it just I I didn't know it was a Sega game, but I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. The Galleria. Um, <laughs> when he asks his kids, he's like, you, you, you seen John Connor? Oh, he's in the Galleria. The Galleria? I hate that line. <laughs> I didn't know that's what they called it. Uh, yeah. Don't um, mind. Yeah, so I, I didn't experience it on Genesis. I didn't experience it on Master System. Really, I didn't experience it anywhere until the... Um, I, I don't know which came first, the 3DS release or Galloping Ghost Arcade, but I got to say the 3DS release really made me um, appreciate the game. And I also have to say that until this episode, I really haven't played the 3DS release all that much. Like I played it a little bit and then died. And I I wasn't aware of exactly uh, what mode to play it on, what settings. I just didn't have a big interest in it. And that's actually why I picked this uh picked it for this episode um let's talk about those controls so thunderblade has very very simple controls player speed up or down using a shifter and then in the other hand use a flight stick to move up down left and right and fire missiles and cannons and thankfully the game provides an endless supply of artillery so you don't have to like run out of missiles so thank god for that um, the arcade release uh, has players making their way through four stages, alternating between an overhead view, in which you move up and down in altitude and fire below, and a forward moving view, in which you fire ahead or send missiles to hit ground enemies. So you're really, I guess, I'd kind of compare it to the Genesis game Dick Tracy. Mm. Have you ever played that? Yeah, I have, yeah. Where you're... you're on the, the the front part and you're shooting people and right. then if you see anyone in the background you got a tuk, 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 right, machine right. gun and in this case you're flying you see the the you know the things overhead shoot those but if you start to see stuff on the ground hit that little you know um, missile button and they'll psh, go down uh, it's honestly pretty satisfying it's a very different take I think compared to Afterburner, Space Harrier, it, it kind of stands out in that sense. I um, uh, Yeah, I have to agree with that 100%. This game, even like the perspective of the game is a lot different. Like um, mm-hmm. the way everything is, the art style even. It's weird because um, OutRun has a distinct art style. And it reminds me more of this one. But if you think about it, like Afterburner in this game, they look really different. Even the one's cock, po- cockpit view and this one is more third person right right yeah and what's interesting too is that the um the forward moving view is actually shifted down just a little bit so if you've ever seen attack helicopters they don't fly uh uh i guess what what would you call this horizontal but they're kind of tipped forward just a little bit and they actually manage to do that in the perspective on the game it's it's slight but it's noticeable um and what I really like, and I'll go through the stages here now, and I'll just kind of call out things about them. So in stage one, it takes place in a city environment, and the boss is named Murmaster. <laughs> it's a marine fortress just off the city's coast, and it appears in an overhead view, as do, oh, I'd say, almost every boss. Um, and what I really like about that stage one is there's these buildings um, and the way they did the buildings is they're like pancakes, like a stack of pancakes. And as you move the ship or, or your your helicopter around, the like 
the pancakes kind of shift just a little bit to give you this like perspective shift on the buildings and it works both moving forward and even more impressively I think top down and you can actually I don't know if you can land on the rooftops but if you crash above one of the buildings you take off again from the rooftop so there's there's this really cool like levels sort of um like I don't know how to explain it. You know what I mean? It's it's like the grounds down below, the tops of the buildings, but they're all surfaces, which right. I don't think I've ever seen in any other superscalar game up to this point. They they added a lot of depth to the yeah. yeah. And yeah. I would say this is kind of like AM2's uh way of doing a high at the time high budget shoot 'em up game in a way. It's like a unique take on a shoot 'em up genre. Like, there's no game like this in the shoot 'em up genre. And I'll just correct you real quick. This was not an AM2 game. Okay, in sorry. In fact, it was. Uh, no, no, no. It's cool. It's Sega R and D one. However, they are using the Sega X board, which was developed by Yu Suzuki and his mm. team. So it's like they gave them the tools, and then they worked with it to find f- new, fun, and inventive ways to present these stages. So. For example, stage two, it takes place in a mountainous area with trees and caves that you pass through. Um, There's a really fun little moment at the beginning of stage one, which always starts top down. Every stage does. And if you're in this like um, this valley and if you fly upwards, the valley, you know, you see more of the mountains. And there's this little outcropping where there's enemies on like a ledge. And you can actually fly over and shoot them on the ledge. And it's just a fun little touch. Like, they don't do that all too often in the game. But to have this, like, this thing where all the enemies are down below in the valley, but then there's a little cliff that you can actually fly up and fly over. It It's a level of 3D that I have not seen in any other Sega arcade game up to this point. Um... It's impressive, and the cave areas through that you pass through, they're um, they're much more. There's a much more space, I guess I'd say. Like it, it really feels like you're going forward, and you see two entrances. You go into either one, and there's very clear like how would how would I compare it? It's kind of like Wolfenstein 3D. You know what I mean? Mm. Where it's a very obvious map is built around you, whereas in Space Harrier, which is one of my favorite Sega games, um, when you go into those tunnels, it's just a mess. You know, like, there's no real sense of space. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's like, you just go and there's a roof above your head and there's all this shit around you. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Right, right, right. But there's no no special entrances. um, Nothing like that. And when you get to the end of this stage, stage two, uh, you fight Marauder which is a large ground assault vehicle. Um, and then moving into stage three, it takes place over water amongst jungle ruins. Um, I almost felt like it was like a 16-bit or like a, a, a super scalar Panzer Dragoon. Like it looks very much like that game with the temples and like right. random columns coming out. Uh, the boss here is a massive bomber named Blackbird. And then finally, stage four takes place in an industrial area at night with the boss being a stationary fortress called <laughs> Chaos Producer. <laughs> what a name, um, right? <laughs> right. And I actually, uh, just before we recorded, I was looking at the Master System Manual, 
And, you know, if you play the arcade game, the original arcade game, it doesn't give you any of these, like, little names. It doesn't give you any plot. There's no, um, like, with the fa- with Space Harrier or Fantasy Zone, they have these, like, scrolling little plot bits that you can read. Nothing in, in, uh, in this game. However, the Master System version does give you some plot points. So I'm just going to read this here real quick. It says, you are the gunship gladiator. So that's the name of the helicopter gunship gladiator what a name in its sweet name uh in minutes you will fly the world's most advanced fighting helicopter into battle against rebel forces your mission is to save the country by destroying the rebels gigantic mobile fortress and then when you go into the manual it talks a bit about um the enemies it gives you a big you know kind of like legend of legend of zelda sort of like overlay of all the enemies but it does say here, Mobile Fortress, Blackbird, it has all of these little letters and numbers, the SRS-78A1, and it looks, um, you know, like a stealth bomber sort of situation. And then, uh, same for the other ones, the Marauder Troop Carrier, and then the BA-001 Mermaster Invasion Craft. Uh, but, as noted, Stage 4 is a mystery here. So, Chaos Master... I don't know where they got that name because obviously the Master System version does not give that within the game itself. Mm. And it and it was not until M2 tackled the game that they did boss introduction uh, uh, text over the screen. So I guess somewhere at Sega there's a design document or something telling them that uh, Chaos Master is the right. is the final boss. Do you think um, that uh, you do you mm-hmm. think that it would, it would be a smart thing to legally change my name to uh, Starship Gladiator? Can you imagine me like? Would you work with someone that you have to call Mister Gladiator for the rest of Mr. the year? Well, do you think Gunship Gladiator is the name of the pilot or the name of the helicopter? Well, no, but I wanted to be my name though. See, it doesn't <laughs> it matter. Be the, yeah, I, I'll be the first human name that. How about that? After right, a helicopter. We'll go with that. And so, oh, and I'm this, wrong. Sorry, I was going to say it's this not, game is uh-huh. not does not take place. It takes place in the future, and the helicopter is not based on a real helicopter, right? It takes place, I guess, at some point, <laughs> but right. they never say when. But they say it's an advanced helicopter, so it's got to be either the present or the near future. Mm. Um, I was saying Chaos Master. I meant Chaos Producer. I think I was Sorry, thinking yeah. Ocean Master, like right. in Aquaman. <laughs> right. What was it? Um, o- uh, Chaos Producer? Chaos Producer. Sounds like a scummy, the... like like another name for Harvey Weinstein. He was like a Chaos pr- Producer. He was. Right. He was. Um, the entire game can actually can be completed in as little as 10 to 15 minutes. In fact, I don't know if you're showing the gameplay right now. Um, it is uh, 15 minutes and 23 seconds, it says, from yeah. start to finish. Yeah, it's it's very short. And that that can actually be... So I with that little um, speed lever, I was originally playing the game on 3DS, and I didn't realize that the speed is actually used with the um, the triggers. And so you can speed up with the right trigger and speed down with the left, whereas on the arcade, it's that little um, that lever little there. Lever, yeah. Yeah, and I realized that I can play through the entirety of this game at max speed, mm. and it does not really bother me all that much. I mean, I didn't need to slow down with Space Harrier, so with this game, it doesn't bother me. 
and that made me finish this game in like nine minutes. It's so short. Right, um, right. So for for comparison, Afterburner 2 is about 15 minutes long. It has 22 stages, and Space Harrier is about 20 minutes long. It has 18 stages. So here we are with a game that's just shy of 10 minutes with four stages. Um, what are your thoughts on the gameplay and length of Thunderblade? And do you think it's enough for a fulfilling experience, or could it, could they have done a little bit more? <laughs> I mean, I every of these like sprite sky, uh, sprite scaler games, I'm all, I always want more, and I think that's a good thing that you leave wanting yeah. more sometimes. But at the same time. I know, I know why people complain, but the way I see these games, to me, it's like a in between a video game and an amusement park ride. They were made right. to be these big things that you ride on. Getting ten minutes out of this that you actually engage with in this virtual world is more. I think sometimes more fulfilling than like a two minute carnival ride that you spent. Around the same amount of money for, depending on how good you are to to beat the game, or at least right. just to experience it, it's like a dollar, or I, maybe even back in the day it was twenty five cents, right? Fifty cents for the, uh, I guess bigger ones, right? Was it the deluxe fifty cents or a dollar? You know, I'd have to check. I'm sure if I looked at like a um, afterburner or like a close up of the little money box, it would say five. Maybe 500 yen. I could be wrong. Right. Um, And it's like, also the money back then, it would have been like $1 would be $1 million today. Yes. Okay. Well, maybe no, I'm wrong. I'm trying to see how much it costs to like play the games, but it doesn't say that. Um, Well, what did, what did Ryo Hazuki spend? A hundred? Was it 500? Was it 100 or 500? I think it was 100. Back in the day, though, one hundred yen a game. Doesn't he say that? Yeah, one play right. is one hundred yen. It's it maybe it was more. That's worth looking into. Um, but yeah, that was about fifty cents, I guess. You know, around mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, like you make a great point. These games existed for a certain purpose. So to be in an arcade, this is not going to be a 30-minute, one-hour experience. I think 10 to 15 minutes is really a sweet spot with a lot of these uh, ride-on games. Obviously, you don't want to be sitting on the bike or sitting in the in the uh, cockpit and doing this for like a half hour. Right. Um, so I, I think in context, it works. I think, however, when you're porting this game to like master system or mega drive like they really needed to pad it out and right they they did but they didn't really replicate the experience so it's like you have a longer game but at what cost you know what i mean like it's it's a longer game that's a downgrade that's missing things that makes the original game great now looking at uh afterburner it has 22 stages, but, you know, you and I, we've played that game. It's really, like, blue sky, purple sky, black right. sky. Yep. Like, yep. not much variation. But with this game, you look at all four of those stages, and they're very unique. They're very well-designed. It looks like a lot of thought was put into the art direction. It's not like there's 30 or 50 uh 
uh, Thunderblade stages, and it's like stage one, trees, stage two, caves, stage three, trees and caves, stage four, water, stage five, water and caves. You know, it's it it has the opportunity to become very bland, I think, if they went in that direction. So I'm not defending the length, but I'm, I guess, giving... I, I guess I'm looking at the positive side of of the length and, and what they did. Because I think they... If this game was like four stages and they were all very bland, I'd be mm. complaining. Like if it was right. just different sky colors. If, um, yeah, if it looked like Afterburner and it was just four... Literally like four stages mm-hmm. of Afterburner and we're done. We we're calling it quits. Right. And it wasn't and like mean, that at all. Exactly. And I mean, like I said, despite the short length, the game, like visually... It's amazing. I honestly think it's one of the most impressive superscalar games, uh, despite being one of the least talked about. And I say least because there are Sega offerings that are even more obscure mm-hmm. in the superscalar genre, such as Airbike Cop, which was a uh, full body, total body sensation Tycon game. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen or played that? I've never seen it, and I've only seen videos of it online. I've never actually tr- said, man, you know what? I'm going to play Air Cop Bike. And I think everyone in America and Japan, when they when they walked by, were like, yeah, we're, I'm good. We don't need to play no Air, air Cop Bike. Oh, it's though, cool, though. You So what it's like it, is... It, it reminds me, though, I was going to say, it reminds me of that um, Cyber Police or whatever game that they released back there. What is it? Cyber Squad? Mm-hmm. Right. That's what it reminds me of. It's it's kind of like um, hang on with jumps, so you can go up, which is really fun. And it's a like hover bike, and so it's it's kind of something on a Blade Runner or something. It's fun, um, but yeah, it's never been ported. Uh, another game is Racing Hero, which is just kind of like a car racing game, but it's uh, a later uh, game, so it's got a lot more details. It's it's kind of like if Outrun was more of a racer, which is mm. cool. Um, and, you know, thanks to the Sega export, the game actually displays 256 sprites on screen at the same time, which is how they can make all of these really impressive shifting buildings, all these enemies coming at you. Um, and just by looking at the game in action, what visual tricks uh, do you see that may have appeared in past Sega titles? Anything jumping out at you? Well, I mean, this the way that the like besides this the sprite scaling and uh, a lot of the way that the the art style r- reminds me of Outrunners, mm-hmm. and it reminds me of like um, I I guess um, what's that the 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 card game um, Outrun not Outrun the other one the. Um, the, Daytona? The kart racing game. like Oh, Power Drift. Power Drift. It reminds me of the way that they, uh, especially in the cave levels in the desert, how they stack it so they could give that 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 volume, you know, that depth of the map. It looks like they use that, uh, the way they use sprites in that game. You know, the way they try to make it look like the, uh, the tracks were going up and down. I feel like they use mm-hmm. that trick to make the mountains look like they have volume going down. I feel like they use that trick in that in that stage. Hmm. On the sides, I don't know. It just when they move, when you move and they move, it looks like there's a pixel stacked in the, in the bottom. That's why. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It it definitely feels like Afterburner 2.0. Like they really. 
pushed what the hardware could do. It's, right. it's impressive. I, I really did like in Power Drift how the screen would tilt. I think that was a fun innovation. Again, I mean, it, was not, it wasn't a shifting perspective where you were looking down and then looking up, but um, it was a, a fun new way, I think, to, especially with the cabinet, right. to inter- have the screen interacting with the movement, which is what this game does when you go left and right. So, um, yeah, lots of really clever uses of the technology here. Um, what, I, I think. The what ca- do you think is the best looking sprite scaler game? Huh. I mean, art design alone, I'd have to go with Outrun or Space Harrier. Right. But those are. But I would. But I would say visually impressive. Probably this one. It's just I. I and we'll show a video later on. But there's video of me playing this game at Galloping Ghost. And in the comments, so many people are like, oh, my God, the perspective shift. Oh, my God, look at those caves. Like, I I think so many fans have this in mind, the Master System or the Mega Drive version. And when they see this, they're like, holy shit, they were able to do that back then? And that's how I am when I play a lot of these games like um, Airbike Cop mm. and uh, uh, Rad Mobile. It's like holy crap, like what, what Sega was able to do. And I think it's because a lot of Sega fans grew up with the the Mega Drive and the Genesis, and when they finally see these arcade games decades later, it kind of blows their mind. They're like, oh, the Genesis was not... Like, arcades back then were not like Genesis graphics. There was a lot more going on um, in the mid-'80s compared to, like, right. mid-'90s Genesis games. Like, the stuff Treasure was doing... Um, in their Genesis games was almost on the level of what uh, you know games like this were doing with with the X board, or and so it's it's like even saying um, Doom, for example. Everyone thinks that that I mean it did create the FPS genre, but a lot of people believe that that's what created 3D graphics in general, and I yeah. think it did popularize it. But this game came out in '88, and Doom came out in '93. So this is half a decade before Doom even came out, and they were doing pretty impressive uh, things, that yeah. uh, perspective shifts and things that other companies weren't doing. So I yeah. think uh, a lot of Japanese arcade developers don't get the credit they deserve for pioneering a lot of tech like this, and it's always some other big game that gets the credit. And, you know, it's funny you'd bring up Doom because uh, on the Sega X board, there is a game called Last Survivor released in 1988. And it is one of the first examples of a 3D third-person shooter. Uh, On Sega Retro, it says it involves players traversing a maze and shooting at opponents. And it predates experiments by uh, ID Software, who's often credited as inventing the first-person shooter genre by two years so um i mean (laughs) i mean to be quite honest like sega pioneered kart racing sega pioneered first person shooting and yet people go oh it's doom and mario kart man (laughs) right right yeah you know that's revisionist history for you i'm sure right now some youtubers like hey guys here's the history of first person shooters the first game was doom you know like the first game was Wolfenstein 3D, but no. Check out Last Survivor. Um, going back to Thunderblade, uh, 
Yeah, so while often Thunderblades bunch together with Outrun, Space Harrier, Hang On, and Afterburner, it's worth noting, as I said earlier, that this game is not a Yu Suzuki creation. The game does run on the X board, which was pioneered by Suzuki and his team, um, but it's about as far as you would go with the Suzuki connection. Thunderblade was developed by Sega's AM1 division, and their previous works included games like Shinobi and Choplifter. You know, Choplifter. <laughs> so, right. Um, there you go, right there. However, the game was inspired by John Badham's 1983 action movie Blue Thunder, as well as the subsequent TV series, and was an attempt to retain the thrills that made Afterburner a hit. So if Afterburner was kind of Sega's response to games, movies like Top Gun... Right, um, which made a comeback, so we need a new yeah, Afterburner game. We do. We most definitely do. Then uh, Thunderblade is really a response to Blue Thunder. And let's actually watch the Blue Thunder movie trailer can and we see watch, if we can... Can we legally watch this and we won't get in trouble? Muted. Maybe muted. I don't know. Oh, no. I'll put it on low. I think we're fine, right? It's a trailer online. I mean, the trailer's online. We'll talk over it, maybe. Right. It's a, it's original. It's only three minutes. Come on, guys. But what's, what's oh funny is... Oh, my God. This does look like Thunderblade. No like the city? Yeah, exactly. And this was back in the day when movie trailers were like three and a half minutes long. So this thing is hella long. But you can see here, we've got guys flying over a city in a helicopter. It crashes just like you would crash in the game. Is this one of the trailers that has been remastered in 4K for by an AI? I don't know. Because it says it's remastered. Possibly. Um, I don't know if you've no you noticed, but um, uh, the actor who played uh, Marv on Home Alone is actually, I think, in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that shot right there. Of the sun, the sunset. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. like the V end scene. Right, exactly. I was like, wow. And it's a advanced helicopter, just like, right. you know, in uh, Thunderblade. This, I've never heard of this movie, and it looks pretty pretty good for the trailer. I think it's on Netflix, actually. It was assigned to American cities. And, um, yeah, as far as actors, Roy Scheider's in it, who was in Jaws. Uh, Daniel Stern, who, of course, was in Home Alone. Malcolm McDowell from Clockwork Orange is in this movie. Wow. I actually, <laughs> I think I might watch this this week. Check it out. I hope it has an actual plot, and it's not just people in helicopters screaming into a microphone. What's wrong with that? <laughs> I love how he's like screaming into it. It's pretty cool looking though, right? I love the shots. It reminds me, um, you know, I recently just saw that Maverick movie and I really, really love the way they shot it. It totally reminded me, I'm like, I, I want to play Afterburner now. Just because of the way they shot the uh, the little scenes in the, in the hangar in the beginning, it was so cool. They did such a good right. job. This reminds me of that, but with helicopters. Like the shitty, the city shots and stuff. The shitty shots. The, the shitty shots. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can see a lot of inspiration there, flying over cities, flying over deserts. Like you mentioned, um, that sun shot 
is straight out of the VN. Right. So we don't have to watch the whole thing. It, right. it goes on for I think another minute here. Um, but yeah, and you know what's really interesting is that Thunderblade actually features a digitized still from this movie for the title screen. I believe it. And they did not credit the movie or the studio itself. The screen's still there on the the 3DS release. You could see it don't... in the video. Well, I'm showing it now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I don't think Sega got permission to do this. In fact, I should after the show maybe check the credits for Thunderblade on 3DS see if they mention anything. But I honestly think it's just like blatant copyright theft. <laughs> you know, it's really right. funny. Um. And, you know, well, the game is quite similar to other body sensation machines from Sega, the Thunderblade Deluxe Cabinet is incredibly unique and possibly the most active in terms of motion since Hang On. Uh, what more, the game does not rely on motors or hydraulics, as I mentioned. Instead, it uses the player's own body movement. Um, so you are far more likely to find a fully working Thunderblade Cabinet in the wild than you really are any other Sega body sensation machine uh just talking about galloping ghost they have um galaxy force uh afterburner space harrier and thunderblade deluxe cabinets and the only one that's always working is thunderblade all the other ones they turned off the motors and hydraulics honestly i think it's because larger americans wear down the machines or break them I agree. And that's no like I agree that's no that. slight on Americans. Like these games were built for smaller people, Japanese people, people right. Americans in the nineteen eighties. No, right. Like not full size not full size, full growing nine two thousands Americans. No, and I mean the R three sixty which they actually have there, which they occasionally put up and running, can only uh, uh hold people who are two hundred pounds or lighter. What? And um for children yeah. only <laughs> in America <laughs> in America that would be like what is this for for elementary school kids only? Well that and that's the thing, like uh two years ago I couldn't ride it. Now I can ride it. So you know that's the that's the R three sixty diet. But you, you just know, have to get you know no one's you know. gonna gonna like weigh you right there, right? Do they have like a weighing machine? That, and that's like the dangerous bit about the arcades, right? When you see someone you're like, bruh, you're pushing you're like, come on, you shouldn't be doing this. Well, I think I think they kinda give you a look and just kinda go, I don't know if you're you can ride this because it might it's it's not about it's both about kind of like you might break the machine, but also you might hurt yourself because if you're going upside down or sideways in the R three sixty and the game breaks down, you could hurt yourself or get stuck right um I, and I also it, it, breaking it for everyone else it's like come on dude yeah exactly and right. in, in the case of thunderblade i think it can hold a reasonable amount of weight i think it's more like going back and forth so much might wear it out but from what i've seen last time i tried it it was working just fine and, um, and i will say that even modern arcade machines made right now break down yeah. all the time like when i went to uh dave and buster's the DDR machine, I think like three machines had some sort of issues that were being in the middle of being maintenance. Like the DDR machine had one little, but one of the buttons broken, one of the guns was a little off in time crisis. Um, it just happens, right? And the right. more, uh, the the more mechanical things that happen with the machine, the more things that break down. It's like a VCR or the 
Sega CD original <laughs> version, right? Compared to the open lid version. Right. Yeah. Dave and Buster is more like Davey Busted. Is, is are they out of business? Or what? No, they're they're around. Okay. Some of them closed, but oh. um, I actually found some uh, information about the deluxe cabinet, the uh, development of it, and this is thanks to Ken Horowitz's book, The Sega Arcade Revolution, and he talked about it. So um, what I pulled from the book is that the deluxe cabinet actually saw multiple redesigns before the final version was decided upon after many location tests. So if you recall, I said at the beginning of the show, um, the basic upright version of the cabinet released first, and then two months later, the deluxe one. It's possible the um, location tests were occurring during or before the uh, basic model, but it wasn't until after that they decided on a final machine that they officially released it. but players who were at these location tests, they said that the machine that Sega was trying out didn't really replicate the feeling of actually sitting in a helicopter. Uh, they also noted that the high cost of a Tycon simulator led to Sega stripping the game down to the bare essentials to make it more effective for potential arcade purchases from you know like arcade operators. Mm. Um, and let's take a look at the machine in action now, actually. This is a video that I made... Who's this handsome uh, guy that's uh, with a boot? Is that the boot? That's my boot. This is seven years ago. Okay. So you don't have these boots anymore? I still do. Okay. Those are my winter boots. These are your kick-ass boots. When you go play kick-ass games only, right? Exactly. All right, I'm gonna, so you can see here I'm, I'm, gonna I'm play speeding it. I'm gonna up. I'm going to play it. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No problem. Yeah. Okay. I'm speeding up. Slowing down. And died. Yeah, I did die. Um, but you can see this the screen is stationary. It doesn't move with you. It just kind of sits there. And it's you. You got your feet in like little stirrups or something. And you're going back and forth. Up and down. You see that shifting perspective. It doesn't... The machine doesn't change at all. It just... You know. Right. And... I mean, obviously, they couldn't redesign the game to have that 3D perspective. So I'm assuming that idea that the screen and the graphic shift was always part of the design, right, since the beginning. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder what the location test one was and the more expensive one. I would love to... I I don't know if Sega just threw these, like, prototypes away or if there's, like, a person that designed it that got to keep these machines. Yeah, yeah. That's a big question for me because, yeah, I I have not seen anything really pertaining to the development of this game. In fact, uh, and I'll show it off in a little bit, the Sega Arcade pop-up history book here um, has a lot of, like, early drawings of other machines. Like, you can see here, Afterburner cabinets. Mm, Wow, that Um, looks like a Sonic All-Star Racing card. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it kind of is. But unfortunately, they don't have any um, pop-ups of the, uh, or I should say concept art or anything for the Thunderblade cabinet. Mm. Um, however, there is a pop-up of the machine here in this book. So you can see it nice. here. Uh, very stripped down. There's no um, no cover 
over it. There's no like windshield. It's just the chair. Uh, the machine sits Here's on these. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> Siri, Siri just thought I was talking. Yeah. Um, you sit on these little skis, which are kind of like the landing, little landing skids, I guess. Um, but yeah, basic, very simple. It's probably the smallest of all the Tycon uh, machines, but still, I think pretty impressive. Uh, the game's soundtrack was written by Koichi Miki Namiki. All right, that was pretty good. Okay, I'll give it. Of, <laughs> just call him Mickey, Mickey Mouse. Mickey, Mickey of Super Hang On, and Toru Nakabayashi of Alien Syndrome. Oh, that was pretty and good. And it features jazz funk inspired music with a focus on drum and bass guitar. Um, the duo composed around six themes, however, due to the short length of the game, several themes composed by Nakabayashi were not used, so a bulk of the soundtrack was done by Namiki, and thus he is often solely credited. Uh, Fans of the video game music would appreciate that the cabinet was equipped with a 3.5mm jack allowing players to plug in their own headphones and fully experience the music and sound effects. Yeah, No Bluetooth? What the... No (laughs) Bluetooth. Come on, Imagine that. You're like, I'm pairing Bluetooth. I'm pairing Bluetooth. And it's crazy Um, how long we've had those headphone jacks, right? Like the idea of a 3.5 millimeter jack. Like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I know you're using some right now, but like I kind, and I'm using one right now, but like I kind of miss the, having it on my phone and just why not if I want, I (laughs) I do like Bluetooth, but I just miss that we're going to phase it out in 10 years. Kids are going to be like, what, what's that? Yeah. And I mean, I, that's that's one reason to hold on to these. Next time you go to the arcade, if you see one of these machines, you can jack in. Right. You know. I'm taking my studio um, headphones. Exactly. Sweet, and sweet tracks. If you if you like video game music, in fact, the whole soundtrack is on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Music. <laughs> it's bundled with Galaxy Force Two. I think this was actually a CD release some years ago. And it has quite a few tracks, a lot of, um, uh, I guess, like remixes, Mm -hmm. like remasters, um, bonus tracks. And then, of course, thanks to Data Discs, Thunderblade soundtrack can be found on vinyl. Though the release was lumped in with Galaxy Force 2. And as such, uh, I don't know, I I, I didn't like how Thunderblade kind of takes a backseat. Like, it's Galaxy Force art. Right, because the girl has, you know... The girl has a lot right. of personality. Who, right, exactly. Right? So she gets the. Fr- There's a lot more going on, I think, with that uh, with that that cover than there is in Thunderblade. I get that. Yeah, I I think I wish it was like split, or maybe the front was Th- Galaxy Force and the back with Thunderblade. You know, like they did something like that. That would have been nice. Or they could have because um, you know how they do two versions: is a color version and a black version. One of them should just came right. in with the with the cover that you want. Right, it would have been cool, but still, it's 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 well worth getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually have the SoundCloud link here if we want to give a quick listen to oh, this this soundtrack. I mean, all, all these arcade. Okay, it's just it's a good soundtrack. But let's let's go. I want me to play it. Yeah, go go for it. We'll play a few seconds of it. Come on. Isn't that nice? Yeah, it's great. I mean, this era, Sega was on... uh, Their arcade stuff always had to have that catchy 
Outrun, all these super scalar games had really, really good soundtracks. Can you think of one super scalar yeah. game that had bad music? No. They're all perfect. Perfect. But yeah. What yeah, do you, but they. What do you think about the soundtrack overall on vinyl? Like, people have been telling me. I usually buy the soundtrack, the vinyls, because I like the idea of having these big artwork uh, yeah. soundtrack that's big. Mm -hmm. Like, CDs are cool. But they're so small, like, I just enjoy how big vinyls are. That's it. And people are saying <laughs> that, like, it's useless to get these on vinyl because it's they were always digital, right? So there's no reason to actually listen to them on vinyl. What do you think about that? Right. Um, I mean, the way I approach it is that there's so much video game music out there that I'm not going to own CDs of everything. I buy a CD only in special occasions. Like, for example, just recently... Uh, with the Mega Drive Mini 2, I bought the um, soundtrack with the Fantasy Zone and Space Harrier and Space Harrier 2 music. Mm. Just because I'm a fan of those games, I kind of like the idea of having them all on a disc. But, you know, uh, by and large, my video game music collection is either a bunch of digitized stuff on my computer or a little stack of vinyls. Because for me, it's like you said, it's the artwork, it's... Um, there's a whole, I don't want to say it's like a ritual or anything, but mm. there's there's a whole experience in listening to a vinyl that does not exist really with uh, a computer or an iPod or even a CD. Right. Um, with the vinyl, you, you, you take it out of the sleeve, you get to look at it. Sometimes it's a special color. You lay it down, you start up the machine, you turn on your speakers, you lay the needle where you want it to go, and it kind of insists on being listened to it's a more active experience so you typically don't put on a vinyl record and then do something else because in 15 20 minutes you're gonna have to go back turn it around select a new track put a new vinyl down so really you're gonna stop and sit and listen and i think that's um something that something like apple music does not allow something that a CD doesn't allow. Um, and two, you, you're locked into just the music on the vinyl. You're not skipping around. You know what I mean? Right. Like when I was listening to Thunderblade in the car, I was skipping around pretty quickly. But then I put on, I don't own the vinyl for that. I am I should get Thunderblade because I'm talking about it. But I threw on, um, I, I don't know what I threw on. I threw threw on some video game soundtrack a few days ago, and I I just sat down and listened to it because what am I going to do? You right. know, like right. It's just it's a nice. I don't know. I and I feel like a lot of people poo poo the uh, the vinyls nowadays. A lot of younger kids, uh, I don't know. They they don't understand it. They don't get it. And I'll be honest. Like I grew up when vinyls existed, but they weren't the go-to way of listening to music we had cassette tapes uh cds were becoming becoming popular but oh yeah they were still there i i know about them i grew up on vhs tapes you know so it's not it's not like i'm getting vinyl and going oh how quirky this is it's more like oh yeah we used to have these and now we have them again it's great um so going back to the game compared to afterburner Thunderblade actually sold far less in Japan than uh, and the in the U.S. 
Yeah, however, it sold far better than Galaxy Force, which released after Thunderblade. I believe and, that. Um, it is said that Thunderblade sold three times as many units as Galaxy Force. Um, and this is my own take on the situation, given the price of an Afterburner or Galaxy Force Tycon cabinet compared to Thunderblade. It's possible that it wasn't even a major loss to Sega. Like, you saw my video there. It's a video screen. It's just like clunk, clunk. Well, actually, here, I can show you the, the pop-ups. Like, here's Power Drift. Look at that. Massive nice. machine. Nice. Here's Thunderblade. It, it's like a bicycle, you know? Yeah, it's very, not very futuristic here's, advanced. Here's Afterburner. Look how massive that's, that is. This is going to take up a lot of space. I mean, it was going to be expensive. in Terminator 2, so. Here's Outrun. Beautiful. Big machine. Beautiful machine. Space Harrier. Reasonably big. Probably right. maybe comparable. Here's Space Harrier and then... But still, it's it's small. Like I'm sure when you get this, you screw on the uh, the feet, you put the thing in place, TV monitor. Like it's it's very compact. And if you've ever seen a Galaxy Force machine, those are massive. Those are almost the size of an R360. They're huge, very expensive. So they're the size of a PS5, like that size. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they most definitely are. So. Um, one possible factor, though, for the game not selling well is probably the difficulty level. It is said that mm. players often would lose after simply playing the tutorial mode. Uh, the game was also slower than Afterburner and less intense. I would agree in with a, that. Yeah, I would too. And in, in a 2015 interview with Sega 3D Classics producer Yosuke Okunari, um, he said that the game's failings were summed up as this. Thunderblade tried to take the feeling of flying a helicopter and simplify it, but also recreate that atmosphere of being in a cockpit. But for most people, that was just a pretty high hurdle. So I get what he's saying. I think of all those Tycon games, this is the one that's kind of the most removed from the actual experience of being in a helicopter. Right. To be quite honest, I I think... like, Have you ever played or seen Star Wars Battle Pods? I've heard, I think I've seen it, but I played the pod racing game. That one's, but <laughs> yeah. not that, not, not battle pods, no. Yeah, yeah. And in that case, you're like, you're sitting inside this big enclosure. The, the screen kind of fills your view. Like, that's much more immersive. That feels like you're really flying a starship or something. In this game, it's kind of like you're sitting on a bicycle or a workout machine and moving back and forth. And it works, it's fun, but it does not feel like you are flying a helicopter. There's no helicopter uh, 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 simulation there. It's, you know, but it, it's still it's still a fun game. Um, he also said that the game lacked a satisfying ending oh. and did not loop. So, like, what would a satisfying ending be? Like, let's be honest, like... Let's say you're a kid. You spent 50 mm -hmm. bucks trying to beat OutRun, and then you get to the end, and all of a sudden you get a trophy or whatever. Is that <laughs> like a satisfying ending compared to going I, into the sunset? I think it's because there's no story, so there's no push for, like, what am I doing? I'm just fighting all these weird machines, uh, whereas with, with Space Harrier, 
welcome to the fantasy zone. Get ready. And, like, there's this whole, like, you did it. You saved the world. The end. You know, like, there's a lot more. And it, it's more of an epic journey going through all of these stages. Mm. Um, whereas with this one, it's just like, oh, I went through th- four environments. I blew up some weird machines. And, oh, I guess we're done. There's no real feel of an end boss or an enemy truly being taken down. It's just kind of like, oh, area area four is done. The end. Mm, um, I agree with that. And and other t- other Tycon games, they did not loop, but they were longer, so it felt like a more involved process. But like I said, four stages, you're done. Fifteen stages. Like when I play Space Harrier again, one of my favorite Sega games, I'm done. Like, I feel like I've accomplished something and I don't want to keep playing it. You know, like right. I walk away. But with this game, I, I played through the four stages and I'm like, where's stage five? Where's stage... Like, I want more, but it's done and, and the end. Super thund- <laughs> and Super Thunderblade is not like a pre-release with more stuff. It's not an Afterburner 2 where they came back and were like, let's re-release it in arcades and fix everything. It was literally just the Mega Drive version of... Like trying to pretend it was a deluxe version, right? Right. Well, let's let's actually let's let's talk about the Mega Drive one. Let's jump right to that. So there's some footage here, people can check out, um, or maybe we're looking at the Master right, System. Right. This is version, the Master which, System. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's steals, talk about the Master System. Steals still is stealing that screenshot from the movie. By the way. Yeah, it is. So, as mentioned at the top of the show, the game is probably better known to fan for its ports. The Master System version is interestingly closer to the arcade release than the Mega Drive Genesis version, despite a massive downgrade in graphics and gameplay, because the Master System version features shifting perspectives. However, the overhead view is entirely 2D with no change in altitude or speed. You are essentially stuck at the bottom of the screen in a very basic shoot-em-up with enemies rarely even firing at you. In fact, I'd kind of compare it to like action 52 it like if this was just the game it'd be one of the worst games <laughs> it's like you're just going on the bottom back and forth and enemies are flying towards you that's it uh thankfully once you go into the the forward view it's a little more exciting um but you know like if you've played space harrier or afterburner on the master system you can kind of expect a very downgraded experience, choppy graphics. And this is, of course, because the Master System is not actually capable of superscalar graphics. It's all a trick. Right. You know, it's a graphical trick approximating the feel. Um, it really wasn't until M2 got their hands on games like Space Harrier 2 that they could approximate uh, the feeling of a true superscalar on the Mac, on the Mega Drive, despite not actually being a, really a, a super scalar system, um, but despite these downgrades, would would you? What, what are your thoughts on the Master System One? Impressive, unimpressive, unimpressed. I don't know. I hated I hated these ports as a kid. Nothing was worse than when I had like I had to play these downgraded ports on the Master System. It's just kind of like you how you butcher a master like a, i don't know it's just not, i didn't like it. it it wasn't for me i didn't like playing uh i thought these games were way better in arcades even right. the mega drive versions are all right sometimes depending on the version we're right. talking about but the master system the sound the the 
very basic 2D graphics. Uh, it just didn't replicate it for me. I, you might as well just make a, gr- a new game in the ground up that yeah. takes takes advantage of what the Master System can do. That's it's, a good point. I yeah. mean, it's I, like I, um, Mario wasn't a... Super Mario Brothers wasn't an arcade port. It took advantage of what the NES could do. It wasn't Donkey Kong that was the biggest game, right? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. When you're right, you're right. Okay. You don't have anything... Uh, you don't like the Master System version? You're not a defender? I I think they did more than they... Like, they didn't do the bare minimum, I think. Right. I think they put a little effort into it, but not enough to make it, like, a worthy, like, must-play game. I just think it's kind of interesting that they did retain the shifting perspectives, or at least tried to. Um, but, you know, by and large, it's fine. It's not... I, I, I kind of enjoyed playing it more than Super Thunder Blade, just because there was a little more variation to it. Mm. I... I like playing these downgraded ports just to see how they tried to approximate like bigger arcade games, but you know, by and large, it's fine. Not great. Not bad. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the Mega Drive version now. So the Mega Drive Genesis version, well, a better game than the Master System version does omit the shifting perspectives, which leads to a pretty bland game. That feels uh, kind of like Afterburner swapped out with a helicopter, pretty much. Pretty much, and, yeah. Yeah, and to make up for the lack of overhead perspective, stages are longer, almost to the point of becoming more boring. And there are, but but there are new mid bosses for each stage that play similarly to the final boss in the arcade version. Uh, the first, second, and fourth stages are almost identical to the arcade version. However, the third stage is brand new, taking place over an ocean. Also, the final boss is new and is fought from an overhead perspective. Targeting has also been simplified, and missiles home in on enemies. The game is also ridiculously hard. Um, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it's a real shame that Super Thunderblade uh, does the arcade original so dirty. And that the game never got a Sega CD or 32X release. And as a result, many fans point to Super Thunderblade as a disappointment and believe the arcade original is the same. So, do you think Super Thunderblade compares to the arcade original? Or how, how do you think it compares? It kind of ruins the whole idea of what made the original so impressive. The idea of shifting yeah. perspectives and it being a shoot 'em up type game and then being a sprite scalar 3d type games so it kind of shifted perspectives from two genres which mm-hmm. i think is really really impressive and what sets it apart from either genre and makes it its own unique type of game especially its control right. scheme right because that's what really when you're going down that or through that history of tycon games when you get to thunderblade you're like oh they tried something new the overhead the shifting like that's really cool and then when you do something like this on the genesis people think oh they just took afterburner and replaced it with a helicopter it's a sprite swap like and they would i mean i wouldn't blame them because that's pretty much what that version is but to call it super is kind of insulting because right. it's honestly they should call it downgraded thunderblade it's to not be even on the super nintendo <laughs> no and then you look at a game like galaxy force on the genesis and that's actually 
very impressive. It's a very cool game. Right. Um, and it's just a shame that, you know, this game, uh, you have Space Harrier, Afterburner, and um, on on the 32X, you have Outrun and Galaxy Force on the on the just basic Mega Drive Genesis. But Thunderblade was kind of done dirty. It never got a port. Uh, it wasn't even in, like, those um, compilation discs for the Dreamcast, which were all Yu Suzuki focused right, you know that had right. um cuz that was the first time uh uh Power Drift was really given a console release um until it released on the 3DS so you know it's a shame but what are you going to do at least we got the 3DS release yeah and i'm I, um, i'm even surprised we got a vinyl release like i know you said that it got put with another game but in the end of the day it actually got a vinyl release which it's pretty rare because we talked about some games which we are very fond of and we always yeah. complain no vinyl no vinyl release no vinyl right yeah that's true um other ports to non-sega hardware are far more accurate to the arcade original though omissions are made like a lack of scaling in the pc engine release or a downgrade in visuals in the monochrome zx spectrum version uh, perhaps the most downgraded version would be the Tiger handheld electronic Thunderblade, which is about what you'd expect from a Tiger handheld. We have a picture there of the beautiful artwork on it, because that's <laughs> basically what sells you on those Tiger electronics. Because the real game does not look like the cool artwork and the packaging. No, yeah. and it uses the. Um, it's interesting. It says number one video arcade hit well it never was number one it says in the package can't deny it it's truth now and the artwork the logo the artwork it's all um it's the master system it's not the arcade it's probably what you look at it's probably what sega had on their like uh old uh uh whatever computers they used to use at work over there the ibms exactly and if you look at the the um, LCD screen. It's a sideway. It's a side shooter, so it's not even right, approximating yeah. the game. Like I don't all. expect shifting perspectives, but come on, at least give us an overhead or a behind the helicopter. Well, view, so. first of all, you have to you have to assume these people even played Thunderblade to begin with. They just literally helicopter. Right, we got it. We'll just. I also notice it says attacked with missiles and bombs. I don't. I don't think the game has missiles and bombs. I think it has a Gatling gun and a, and missiles. Missiles and bombs are kind of the same thing, aren't they? Maybe not. I don't no, know. No, I think they're different, right? Missiles go yeah. straight. I don't know. I'm not an army guy, dude. Bombs go down. I saw. Uh, I saw Top Gun Maverick, so I'm pretty much an expert. I fought in the console wars. Weren't you there? <laughs> I was there, comrade. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> Uh, the best port is actually the X6800, I don't know how many zeros there are A lot. there, version, <laughs> uh, ported by SPS and published by Sharp. Sprites are smaller and there are less on screen, but the game is close to arcade accurate. And what's really cool is that the original CyberStick, if you remember that, it actually works with the X68000 release, meaning it is possible that the new USB CyberStick for the Mega Drive Mini could work on a PC emulator playing Thunderblade. And actually, we have a video here. It's a look at the original stick working on original hardware. So let's check that out. Wow. 
Why did so computer people got the best of everything? Yeah, look at it's that. Pretty it's pretty impressive. Like the arcade for like a home. Yeah. I mean, you can see it's there's a little less going on on the screen. But I mean, this is playing at your house and not an arcade is pretty impressive. Yeah, and the fact that, like I said, like I, I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but I think tomorrow I'm going to try to emulate the X68000 and hook up the USB cyber stick because it's made for this. Like it's got both of the controllers right there, everything you need. Beautiful. Beautiful. Very cool. Um, and actually, I'm very happy that M2 and Sega actually shine a, sh- a spotlight on the Cyber Stick because I love it. I've been playing um, Space Harrier with it, and it's just chef's kiss. It's amazing. It's so fun. Um, as mentioned, hey, speak of M2. Uh, thanks to the work of M2, we finally received a home port of the game that is arcade accurate in the 3D Classics release for the Nintendo 3DS. Um, however, it's unfortunate the game that did not appear on Sega Ages for the Switch so that players could see the game on their television set. But the 3D Classics release does give a very fun bonus of emulating what it is like to sit inside the deluxe cabinet complete with di- gyroscope controls and real recorded machine sound effects. That's right, M2 actually went oh, yeah. to the Sega archives. There's There's photos of it. For other machines, mm-hmm. where they have microphones inside, like the Outrun cabinet or whatever, and um, this game is a loud game. It's like womp thunk, womp thunk. Uh, it's fun. In addition to the 3D effects, the game adds new difficulty settings, making it impossible to crash into buildings, which is like it. It cha- it's a game changer. It's amazing. I like when they um, do that kind of thing because it really does change the way you play a game sometimes. Like having no traffic in Outrun was so cool. You could just, oh, I just want to go on a cruise. And then you, there's, exactly. no, there's literally no traffic to worry about. You could drift as wide as you want, as tight as you want, whatever. And you saw my footage of me playing at the Galloping Ghost. My first death was hitting a building. And in this right. game, you just bump against them and it slows you down. Uh, it also features remixes of original in-game music that you can toggle, toggle on and off, as well as a special mode that made several ma- changes to the original game, including a fifth stage mm. that's added, and the helicopter has a new color, as well as weapons being enhanced in enemy and obstacle patterns being new. Bosses also have special introductions, and a new end boss is added. So following the defeat of the final boss from the arcade original, players actually continue flying past the remains and they go deeper into the fortress before they venture outside and they encounter a flying fortress called Grantinoff, which resembles the back of a Star Destroyer from Star Wars. And what you do is you shoot out all the engines and then it crashes into the forest and you fly over it. And honestly, like... All in all, the 3D Classics release, it elevates Thunderblade, it fixes many issues, including difficulty and length, and despite not being rated as highly as other 3D Classic titles, I think Thunderblade's probably the best in the lineup, just because it finally brings the arcade original home and fixes just about every issue uh, that people had with it. And I'll come out and say right now, I I love Thunderblade now. Like, 
<laughs> you know, it's one of my more favorite super scalar games, specifically on the 3DS. Like, mm. I'm, you know, Outrun, Space Harrier, all those games, fantastic. But you're not going to get Thunderblade except on this console and in just a few months from recording this it's going to be pulled right you're not gonna be able to play it anymore and you know what sucks even more it feels ancient when you open up that 3ds like even now when i go back and play my switch i feel like it's slow right like when you go to the like nintendo store and the switch you're like oh my god what's going on here and yeah. it's like, we need, first of all, we need an upgrade to the Switch. And second of all, we need all these 3DS uh, Sega Ages titles to finally make its way to the Switch. Like, you should be able to port that thing over, right? Like, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Yeah, I when I open the 3DS, the first thing I see is the screen quality. Like, I'm so used to the OLED right. Switch that when I open this, I'm like, oh, I can see the pixels. Like, even on my iPhone, it looks clear and sharp but let's be honest that upgrade from going from 3ds to the switch is a pretty big upgrade for nintendo i know a lot of people give them a grief because they say oh it's not as good as the ps5 and it's like well no but look at the 3ds look <laughs> the coin slot 100 yen Ooh, there you go there you go 100 yen a game 100 yen. i think i'll try some 100 yen a game i think i'll play um so yeah, what what are your thoughts? I mean, we kind of shared our thoughts. The 3DS release, um, and what other classic Sega games do you think would or could benefit from M2's work? Like, what's your dream M2 release? Mm, dream, dream out of everything that they haven't done. And I will stipulate anything up to like Mega Drive Genesis. So no Saturn, no. Dreamcast. I would love them to just finally make a... And you know how they used to do, like, when they did Sega Ages, they used to do a collection where it was, like, the Treasure Box set or the Fantasy Zone collection. I would love for them to finally do a Shinobi collection where they get all these obscure, random titles. They They have kind of like a connection with each other and kind of like a timeline and all this history with it because i really really love Mm. the shinobi games i think there's so many of them spanning so many different types of feels and and like you know we talked about it right there was super shinobi one two and then we have here in america one two and three we have the console trilogy the arcade trilogy it would be cool to finally have them all together maybe more concise uh story that connects some of the console storylines together that would be yeah. cool, I think. What about you? I, I'll i go a step further. I'll say going off of Atari 50, Ooh. which is a fantastic release, I'd like to see Sega and M2 do like a Sega 65 or Sega 70. Well, let's say 65 because oh, really? that's closer. And do like bring in all of their works that they've done on the Mini and on the 3DS and on the Switch and new titles and give us like a history of Sega leading all the way up to like the Genesis era or something or even beyond and give us all this like all these ports on one on one place like this game and that sound might sound crazy but Atari 50 alone has over 100 playable games and a lot of them are like modernish you know like modern to the point of being like late 90s so it's not just 
it's not just Atari twenty six hundred games on here, and they even do cool things like um, uh, real objects that mm. had like working buttons that they then turned into a touchscreen like game. So you could, I mean, I don't know. Like there's there's a lot of weird things in Sega's history that have never been adapted to home consoles that I think would be really fun. You know, like the, that those hologram games. Mm. Those have never been. Brought over Holoseum, I think was one. Um, just like let them go all out. Give them like five years, or not maybe not five years, but like a couple of years to really work on something big and impressive and something that could stand the test of time. I think that would be really awesome. And make it multi-platform, please. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm t- I'm so tired of M2 being locked to like Nintendo consoles right. or locked to plug and plays. Right. Um. So, before we conclude this episode, let's take a look at some of the print ads used mm. to sell the game. So, first up, we have a arcade ad. This is targeting arcade operators. And this, this one, it says, Womp, 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 click. Womp, 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 click. If I was an ar- arcade womp, operator, it would be like, I'm not going to be hearing womp. this all day. So, I'm not <laughs> buying this. Maybe this is why yeah. the game didn't do well. This ad. <laughs> Maybe. Well, it says here, though, that uh, really what they're trying to say is you're going to be hearing this a lot because people are playing the game a lot. So, you know, I, I get that. Um, there is a phone number on here. I'm not going to call it for the show, but I did reverse look it up. And? And I, I told you offline, the owner of this number is named James McGill. Oh, which right. is better call Sal. Saul Goodman's original Real name. name. Slipping Pill. Should I call it Slipping Pit? Pete. Should I call it? Right. Are you going to tell him? Hey, um, is this the lawyer from the show on TV? Is that what you're going to say? I'm going to ask if I can buy Thunderblade here. You think that he he they have one? He just has it lying around. What if he's like, yeah, sure, sir. I get these calls all the time. Uh oh. <laughs> I think it's like a fax number. Mm. When he wants his faxes. Well, that was a wash. I was hoping it would be like a karate dojo like it was that last time. That was the best um. call. <laughs> So it must be James McGill's um, fax machine. But there you go. Um, The next ad is pretty unique. So this is a piece of art. You actually see a lot. In fact, I I didn't put it in the notes, but something that's really funny are the end credits for all of the um, M2 games. Not not the game's end credits, but like the M2 credits. Mm -hmm. And in that, they have Thunderblade, but all of these Sega... Uh, arcade characters from other games are like in it and i'm pretty sure one of the little like segments is the outrun guy has this poster on his wall and Mm. his girlfriend gets mad at him Mm. uh because of the woman's legs and also there's a scene where the legs come down and like smash the helicopter which is pretty funny but if we look at the next image this is where i think they got the idea from oh yeah for sure 
But there's more of a, so, of a, I don't know. Yeah, that's it. And why is James Bond pointing at her? Her knee? Her knees. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is a popular, uh, for your eyes only, 1981 popularized this sort of gimmick of, of the legs. They did this a lot in different posters. This is the Japanese poster. But as you can see, like, this probably stuck with the developers. You, you can even see a helicopter there. Oh, yeah. Off to the side. So it's, They're wearing, uh, She's wearing almost the same high heel shoes. Almost yeah. the same type of bathing suits. Obviously, the Thunderblade has less reveal of the buttocks. But, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. Um, <laughs> and then the last one is a European ad for the... Uh, what is this French? Right. I guess it, sounds, it looks French to me. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it shows a guy with a guy in a suit, and his head is made out of a helicopter blade. This reminds me of like modern or mid like two thousands Sony ads where it was like a baby crying and it was like sucking on a PlayStation or something. It was like trying to be weird so you could remember it. Yeah, and maybe they're saying, like, this is a side effect of playing the game too much. You so, become a helicopter yeah. head. You become a helicopter. Uh, and you can see he's using that little joystick controller. Right. Which, that's. I, I have that. I should try that. That might be a different way to play this maybe game. Maybe you should cosplay as um, this character. I could. Uh, he looks like a character from The Tick. Right, doesn't right. He, he kind of does. Like there's, I think there was chair face. Right. And the guy's head was just a chair. Um... We also have a couple of TV spots. So the first one is a Japanese commercial. So let's load that up. It's 15 seconds. Okay. I'll press play. Let me. Uh, Alright. I'll press play now. Wow. Real footage. Mm-hmm. Not impressed with the actual gameplay, but it's cool that they... Uh, have real footage, I guess. I mean, yeah. outside of that, I mean, what do you think about the commercial? Would that sell you, the real footage, and mixed with the Master System's beautiful 8-bit graphics? <laughs> I think it's all right. I mean, I, I like any game that shows a good amount of, of gameplay. I also kind of applaud them for doing a little sketch at the beginning with dropping a bomb. I think the Master System in general, though was missing out on like their own Segata Sanshiro like it needed someone like a like in a those commercials yeah exactly i think I, I think that's something that sonic actually filled obviously as their mascot but yeah you're right in the uh, master system era it was a big void like they didn't even have alex kidd selling games like alex kidd should have been the one in the commercials like hey this is the new game yeah, yeah exactly uh, let's take a look at the American ad. This is actually from a two-minute video, so it's halfway through, but I put a timestamp there. The challenge will always be there. I like that. I mean, it's before their, you know, uh, you know, Sega does and all that stuff, but I thought it was a pretty exactly. cool save. All right, I'll press play now. 
Okay, now we're talking Whoa. Thunderblade. One heavily armed attack copter. Evil forces trashing your city. Twelve rounds of major This is pretty typical for this era. Allow me. Note my aerial technique. Yeah. Kids fighting over the controller. One kid's showing it off. The, the cool kid with the mullet. From Sega, and now look for the incredible Fantasy Star. <gasps> fantasy Star. That sounds cool. <laughs> I know. Sega's Thunderblade. The kid. I like how. How they're like Thunderblade, and oh yeah, also Fantasy Star. I'm like, no, that's the better game. Right for the. Um, it was more console made for. You know, it was literally made. What's for, funny. What's funny is the kid says there's 12 rounds in the game, but what he's doing is he's taking the oh. um, overhead perspective, the forward perspective, and the overhead perspective for all four stages. So it's four times three. <laughs> so they're really... That's like, I don't know, saying that Sonic has how many zones when you're actually counting the acts. Right. You know? So it's a little deceiving there. Or, or saying that right. a boss counts as a stage mm. like or there's also the uh outrun every course you don't take is how long the game is right so it's like mm. there's a total of a thousand courses because they also count variations and all this other stuff it's like cool dude right. that's not correct but thank you i guess they're technically right i get in a way but not really they're whatever they're selling you a pipe dream it's really five minutes long it well, is. it's wait until it's over. Well, it's over before the commercial was over. <laughs> I like that he's like, wait until they see Fantasy Star. And I'm like, if they're into helicopters and explosions, I don't think they're going to be impressed by an anime game. I got to say, though, yeah, like when you're having all your buddies over and you're fighting over a controller, Thunderblade is probably the better game. Fantasy Star, what are you going to do? Like, all right, all right, guys, let's create our name. All right, we got to go to the item shop. Guys, pay attention. All right, now what we're going to do is we're going to cast a... Sp Guys, pay attention. You know, like, they all leave. Um, so, wrapping things up. Since the 3D Classics release, Thunderblade has remained pretty much dormant as far as re-releases go. Recent mini-consoles omit the game, such as the Astro City or the Mega Drive Minis. And as mentioned, Sega Ages did not bring the game over from the 3D Classics Idiots. lineup. So... Do you think Thunderblade is overlooked or deserves more? I think it is overlooked. I think it does, like I said, some cool things with perspectives that other games don't. I don't think there's a game quite like it. I think it's a, it's worth looking into, especially if you have the, what is it called, the cyber stick or whatever controller? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, the cyber stick. Or understand how the game... Uh, I would definitely read... Uh, you could play for sure. Yeah, no, and the 3DS port is great. If you have a 3DS, pick it up. I don't know if the store's already officially officially closed, right? You you have to buy points off of Amazon or, or point cards, and then you can buy games, but you can no longer use, like, PayPal or credit card. That's dumb. But anyway, I think it's worth picking up. Yeah. Also... Does it deserve? I don't know. I think it's one of those things that if you bring it back, you would have to have, like you said, a lot more meat and potatoes because, like, we live in the era where arcades are no longer... Like, there's never going to be a Thunderblade 3 or a Super Super Thunderblade or whatever. So right. you would literally have to 
add more to the original classic. I think some of these uh, 3DS Sega Ages classics did a good job, like Fantasy Zone having that weird loop mode where you get money and it's kind of like roguelike. I think adding modes like that where you play around with the rules would be cool for another re-release, but I think that's all this franchise is going to get. And I, I like... The world's changed so much that the idea of having a game with a, like, Ferrari car or a uh, jet jet is, like, no longer a selling feature. So I can see in that perspective. But I do like the classic game, and I, uh, I hope to see it on a console, not just yeah, on a 3DS. Me too. Me too. That's, that's what I'd like to see for the future. I'd like, at the very least, for M2 to, to somehow release this... I'd like to see M2, like you mentioned, being given something like like a, a multi-platform release where they can have another lineup of games, like a new Sega Ages for all platforms. Something. It just it feels like after the uh, Mega Drive Mini, like I don't want them to just be locked to plug and plays. I want to see them come back to consoles and do you know, compilations again. I I think that would be really exciting. It's weird that it feels like we're going to a... Like, we're going to this, like, every game is being released on everything. Like, The Witcher 3 is on PS4, Xbox, uh, PC, even on Switch, even though it's super, super... uh, Even Doom is, the the new Doom. But somehow we can't get Sega Ages 2D releases to just on everything why does it I, I just don't get that and i don't i don't like the idea that it's also the genesis games are now tied to the online nintendo service just release them as even if it has to be bundles or whatever but just put them on the store who cares see what happens yeah i'm with you yeah are you listening m2 uh yeah so that does it for thunderblade we are not done with the world of super scalers though like i said i think on a future episode maybe a uh, like a 125 or a 150, we'll talk about Afterburner because I think that's the mm. one big super scaler we still need to touch on before we go into power drift and <laughs> airbike cop and things like that. Um, for Patreon memories, we have Daniel Undress writing in, and he has to say, I have only played the Master System version, and I really like it. If I ever see the arcade version out in the wild, then I will make sure to play on it. George, what what is next? What's the next episode? We will be taking a deep dive into Sonic Triple Trouble. We will be, be getting into trouble three times, triple dipping, and hopefully <laughs> have a good time while we talk about a, I think, uh, under, now I wouldn't say underrated, but maybe under-talked about a Sonic video game. Like, no one really... I never hear the fandom talk about Triple Trouble. Like, I hear a bunch of other games. CD, 2, 3, 3 and Knuckles, Adventure. How many times do you hear people say, you guys remember Triple Trouble? Well, I guess we'll remember it next time on Sega Talk. Bye. Bye.